Go ahead and uh, turn, if you will, to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I do want to talk to you about Christ in our homes. We had this plan last week, and I called an audible at the last minute, kind of. But I wanted to come back and look at this because it is so important that we recognize, again, that Christ is all and in all, in everything that we are. There is no part of our life that should be reserved from God's presence and authority. God should be the Lord of all of our lives, right? I've heard some of my friends say before that if God is not Lord over all, then he's not Lord at all. Because our God, our Christ, wants to be Lord over everything about us. And as we have relationship with him, it impacts all our other relationships. I hope that you've seen this. As you read through Colossians 3, it talks about who you are in Christ and really your relationship to him. And then you see how the vertical relationship plays out into horizontal relationships. And it always does. If you love Christ, if you are following him, then it is going to be evident in your horizontal relationships or your earthly relationships here. It's going to have an impact, right? I would even suggest to you that the vertical impacts the horizontal, and even to some degree, our horizontal will impact the vertical. If we're not right with other people, then it's very difficult for us to be right with Christ. If we're not right with Christ, it's going to be hard for us to be right with other people. They, they impact one another. And that's what Paul says. Paul's like, hey, you have to have the right relationship with Christ. You have to be living for him, have the right attitudes, and then it will play itself out in the different relationships that you have. And I do think the way Paul frames this in Colossians 3, as he will in Ephesians 5 and 6, is that he will take the primary relationship outside of your relationship with Christ. He'll take the primary earthly relationship, I should say, and then he'll begin to flesh out the other relationships. So it's like, here's Christ, here's that relationship that you are to have with him. The next relationship, the primary earthly relationship that you should have is with your spouse, if you're married. Because, what, two weeks ago now? I don't know, I get kind of confused from time to time. But two or three weeks ago, we talked about husbands loving their wives and wives loving and submitting to their husbands. You remember that? That was the night Leslie was out. Remember? <laughs> And I said, I didn't say anything out of whack at all. It was just all biblical, very much so, stayed with the Bible. But he moved into that relationship first. Why? Because I do think that marriage relationship is the primary earthly relationship we have here on this earth. Like, you've got your relationship with God, and if you're married, then, then your relationship with your spouse supersedes every other relationship. I probably should have preached this a couple weeks ago or shared more about this, but when I say that the marriage relationship supersedes every other relationship, I mean every other relationship. I love my parents. I do, very much so. I know I can mess around about them, and I can talk a little bit about them, especially my mama, it's just so easy. But I know those things that, you know, I love about them and I haven't, but my marriage to Leslie supersedes my relationship with my parents. It should. Did you hear me? Some of you who are grandparents and parents in this place, 
the marriage that your children and grandchildren have supersedes the relationship that that individual has with you. And it should. Even the model of Genesis, what does it say? A man will leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The priority is upon the marriage relationship. I probably could just stay here and just preach this. Don't even worry about children. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going here. Some of you who are parents and grandparents put too much stress on the marriage of your children and your grandchildren. Maybe I'll back off. One of the things that you'll see, I, I go through premarital counseling, and somebody asked me the other day, I think it was one of you all said, do the people ever listen to you when you go through premarital counseling? I think one of you asked me that the other day. And I said, I don't know, maybe so, maybe they do. But I always go through like um, the 12 marriage killers that Dr. Dobson uh, identified years ago. And one of the marriage killers that he identifies is, is in-law interference. How parents and grandparents can interfere in the marriage. And they don't necessarily mean to interfere, but they do. They put a lot of pressure on young couples. And listen, young couples have enough pressure on them without getting pressure from their parents and their grandparents. Do you know when some of the first fights happen in marriage? Around the holiday season. Always. Read about it. It's around the holiday season. Why? Because everybody wants this couple to come to their house. Leslie, you want to come give testimony tonight, baby? <laughs> I didn't prep you for this, but it's genuine, raw, authentic if you want to come. What's that? Don't go any. Oh, that's right. That's right. Our, our deal was we're just not coming. We're not coming. It, it, it was funny. When we were first married, you know, with, with our parents, my mom in particular, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but really, uh, I came from an enmeshed family. Enmeshed like a lot of other southern families, like where the family was so, so close together. I think I've told you before, I've got three siblings. Two of them live where mother can see them out the window, and the other one just a few miles up the road. I'm the only one who left. I'm the prodigal in many ways. But I was always expected to be back, especially, for example, on Christmas Eve. And when I started pastoring in Picayune, guess what? We had Christmas Eve service. And then, of course, we started having family. I mean, Leslie and I were together, and then we had children. It was very difficult to be able to go. But my mom said, you better be home for Christmas Eve. And I said, Mama, I can't. I got to church. Well, I don't care what you got. <laughs> you better be home. I'm not kidding, am I? So anyway, I heard her feelings. She hung up on me. And then uh, my aunt was her sister who never had children. She called me. And she was always a little more bold than my mother was. And she called me, and of course she was also theological. She said, she said, uh, Reggie, she said, do you ever listen to Dr. Charles Stanley? And I said, oh, yeah, I love Dr. Charles Stanley. He's a great preacher, First Baptist Atlanta. He said, yes, yes, yes. Did you hear his sermon the other day? I said, I don't know which sermon you're talking about. The sermon on the family. 
You know, didn't he tell you that the family was originated, the family institution was originated before the church institution? So the family comes before the church. Always does. But I hear that you are not coming home because of the church, because of this and that. Let me tell you what. Sometimes parents and, and grandparents, we can put too much pressure, and especially on young marriages. And I just want you to hear, the primary relationship in this earth is not parent-child relationship. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. I love my children. I love my children and everything I got. But the primary relationship is the husband-wife relationship. That's the reason I think Paul begins with it. He talks about Christ and your relationship there, but then what did he move to? He moved to the husband-wife relationship. Some people call this in Colossians the household codes, that they were very, they were very much like some of the codes that would have been uh, found in the New Testament world. But these are distinct Christian codes. These are given... Christian nature, why, what you find in Christ himself and how Christ informs these relationships. And the primary earthly relationship is husband and wife. I say to you, I love my kids, but they'll, they'll tell you. They'll sometimes ask me, like, who's your favorite? I say, I'm going to tell you who my favorite is. Yo mama is my favorite. Now, I... And I've told them before that I love her more than I love them. I love them to death, but not like their mama. But you know what? I think our kids need to hear that. And our kids need to see that the marriage is the primary relationship here on this earth. And then once you deal with the husband-wife relationship, you can deal with the parent-child relationship. So that's where Paul moves. So finally, after all that, I want you to see verse 20 and verse 21. After Paul says that wives are to submit to their husbands and that husbands are to love their wives with a sacrificial type of love, verse 20 says, children, and he begins there, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So look at this relationship. Moves from husband-wife to parent-child. And he says, children, you need to recognize that there is an inherent authority in your parents. That your parents, they are, they are working, they are trying to help you, nurture you, hopefully. And you are called to obey them. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is the structure of the home. The children do not inform parents of what they will do. The parents are the ones who should be parenting their children. There are a lot of us, and a lot of us in our culture in particular, that need to hear that once again. That parents need to step up and be parents, and children need to heed the word of their parents. I want you to see the... The, the passage, I think, that corresponds to this in Ephesians 6. The book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, written about the same time. Paul is in Rome, as we talked about this morning. He's under house arrest. He writes these books like Philippians and uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. He writes these different captivity epistles, they're called. Ephesians, 
is it mirrors Colossians in many different ways. So I want you to go back to Ephesians 6. St. Paul writing about the same issue, and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I just love the simplicity of that. <laughs> obey your parents in the Lord. Now, who is our supreme authority? Jesus Christ, right? But as our parents follow the Lord, they become an authority over us. If our parents ever tell us to do something that is immoral, then we have an obligation to follow Christ first. But as long as our parents stay within the will of God and tell us this is what we should do, then we should honor them. And listen, cleaning your room is not necessarily immoral. Some of you just said, I just found an out. He said, if there's something immoral, I listen to Christ. No, room cleaning is not one of those things. I'm pretty sure God would be okay with you cleaning your room. But he says, you ought to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Just the simplicity. You know what? It's, you just do it because it's right. Isn't Listen, there are a lot of motivations sometimes for us to do things, and we should do it with compassionate, loving hearts and all of that. But isn't it okay to say sometimes, hey, we just need to do that because you know what? That's right. It's okay to just say, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. We just ought to do this because it's right. Because this is the command of God. And Paul in Ephesians said, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He said, that, that's what this whole dynamic has been for all ages is that parents would parent their children and children would obey their parents. So first, it speaks about obedience. The second, though, I want to show you about the way we as parents respond. So back over in Colossians 3, and we'll, we'll look at the comparison in Ephesians in a moment. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, he speaks specifically to fathers, but I, I think this could be used both of fathers and mothers. So the idea is that you do not try to exasperate your children. Uh, the word there means to irritate or to in some way bring conflict or anger in their lives. And from what he says is discouragement in their lives. He says, don't act in such a way that you discourage your children. Now, I'm a believer in discipline. I believe we ought to discipline our children. But we should not in any way break the spirit and the heart of our children. It's a definite balance, isn't it? We are to discipline, but we're to do it in such a way that is productive and wholesome in their lives. Again, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, and bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Very similar, right? In in the proverb that talks about training up a child in the way he should go, which I think there, 
there's some echoing of, of that passage by Paul, especially in Ephesians, that you are to train them up. The word was used to talk about plants in particular and how you would kind of bend the plant to grow in the right way. For example, some of you have tomatoes or you had tomatoes this summer. A few of you did. Raise your hand if you did. Yep, I got it from two people. I got tomatoes from two people and already here tonight there are like 10 or 15 of you and you didn't anyway. I just want to point it out. Just want to point it out. Get it out of my system. I can move on from my bitterness once I have faced that. But the process of growing tomatoes, my, my grandparents, they ran a um, kind of, well, they ran a dairy, but they also had like a, a garden, a uh, truck patch, they would call it oftentimes. And we would go out to the garden, and my granny would, would usually be the one to plant the tomato rolls and and she would get me in there, and it was kind of cool as a young child, even though I was as hot as could be in a Mississippi summer, it was kind of cool. They would let me be involved and, like, pour the miracle grow and do the different things like that as they were planting and they were getting ready. And as the, I noticed as the tomato would grow, they would, uh, well, they would stick it, or maybe they would use some other type of contraption to, to try to control its growth, to make sure it had support, so it wouldn't just break off, but it would, it would be controlled somewhat. And I always think about that when I think about this idea of training up a child, especially in that proverb passage that speaks in those same ways. It's like you take a child and you don't break them. You don't destroy them. You don't discourage them. There's some people in the name of discipline today, they are, they're, all they're doing is destroying their children. Discipline does not destroy the children. Discipline helps the children grow in the right way, in a productive way, to set them in, in the way of Christ. And that's what I think he's saying. He said, do not exasperate. Do not cause bitterness. Do not discourage. And while I do think it can apply to dads and moms, I'm just going to put this out there. We dads, we dads, need to especially pay attention to what Paul says. Because I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure if we're not the ones sometimes that can crush our kids more than their mamas can. You and I need to do what it takes as, as parents, of dads, granddads, to encourage and to bless our children, to teach them what's right, to teach them what's wrong, to discipline when necessary, but to do it in an encouraging and wholesome way. So some years ago, I went through a study called Men's Fraternity. I've mentioned it several times, and it really impacted my life. I, obviously, as much as I've mentioned it to you all, you probably can tell. It was written by a guy named Robert Lewis. Robert Lewis, who was a Rustin High grad. I think he was honored not long ago in the Rustin High Hall of Fame. He was a great football player, but I tell you, he helped me so much in this study of thinking about what we need to do as dads in our kids' lives. And he drew a parallel with the father and the son, in particular, in how the father spoke out of heaven to affirm his son. He, he, he takes the baptism 
narrative, but he also takes the transfiguration narrative, and he says that would be a good model for all of us, dads and moms, to use as we encourage our children. And what he says is this. Remember what the Father speaks as he speaks out of heaven. He says what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then in the transfiguration, he says, listen to him. So take that just a moment. Listen to what the father says to his son. I love you. I love you. Second, he says, I'm proud of him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm proud. And then he says, he says, listen to him. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. He's good at this. You're good at something. So years ago, I heard that, and I said, I hope that when my kids graduate, they would know three things. That they would hear me speak into their lives and say this, I love you. Two, I'm proud of you. Number three, you are good at. It may be cheerleading. It may be cross-country. It may be reading, it may be academics, it may be whatever else. But I want them to know that they're good at something. Because I know because of my sinfulness, because of my rebellion against heaven, there's a part of me that can exasperate my kids and bring them to bitterness. But thanks to the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in my life, I can work in a way that would encourage them, discipline them, but discipline them in a wholesome way. And help them hear those truths. So I would say to you, if you get nothing else out of this tonight, that you think about these three statements, that the Father speaks into the Son's life, and that you would allow those to be words that you would speak into your grandchildren's life, lives, into your children's lives. What are they again? I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at and you can finish the sentence so that they know that, that they have value, inherent value in Christ Jesus and as they stand before you. He said, look, you have authority as parents, but with authority comes responsibility. It always does, doesn't it? And you are to treat your children in a positive way. Be the encouragers in their life. Don't discourage them. Don't break them. But help bend them and grow them. Because what do we ultimately hope for our children and grandchildren? Well, I'll tell you what I hope. I hope that they will take on the image of Christ more in their lives every day. As God grows them, as God works in them, I want to see within them Christ Jesus. I don't care if they're the greatest athletes. I really don't care if they're the great academic, whatever else. I want to see them know Christ and to live for him better than I ever have in my life. And I hope that's your prayer as well. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these brief moments of just opening your word and being challenged. And God, if we just admit it, our families are facing some tough times around this community and around our nation and beyond. 
God, sometimes it seems like um, children are going astray, and grandchildren. Sometimes it seems so discouraging. But God, I pray that you would help us to be people that are committed to, Lord, leading these children and grandchildren in the right way. Father, I pray that we would be those who have godly influence, godly authority over them. I pray our children and grandchildren would hear that obedience is the way of the Lord. But I pray for us especially that you would help us to speak into their lives and invest in them, that they are encouraged, not discouraged, that they are given life, that they're not destroyed because of our words or deeds. God, help us to pray for our families like we should and help us to lead as examples. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight?